This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. Welcome to Pet Chat. And today I'm Jane Klein and we have David Tabret, Dr. David Tabret, our vet. Hello, David. Hi, Jane. What will you be talking about today? Um, something a little bit different, stem cell therapy in dogs. Sounds mm. good. Look forward to that. And Danny Boss is with us as Hi, well. Hi, Jane. Hi, Danny. And... Well, we've got an event to talk about, and I thought we should introduce a pug breeder to the show. Toy dogs are always very popular, and pugs being one of the most popular toy dogs, so let's talk to a pug breeder. That's coming up next, Pet Chat, and of course your calls will be welcome from half past 12, 49216216. Get your question ready for half past 12, Pet Chat. Of course, Dr. David Tabret and Danny Boss with me today. Now, David, you were going to tell us all about stem cell therapy in dogs. Is it only dogs you think of with stem cell therapy? Well, as we know, over the years we've heard of the great promise of uh, stem cell therapies and what perhaps treatments could be applied for people. And there's always this ethical dilemma because of the sourcing of them. Now, just to explain, stem cells, pretty much all the cells in our body, well, arise from uh, these what we call stem cells and they differentiate and become, you know, some become skin and hair and our liver and our gut and so on and bone marrow and certain cells that we need as we uh, grow and age. And uh, some of our body is able to regenerate itself. However, some parts are not that good at regenerating. And the primary uh, area that people think about is our neurological system, our brain and nerves and things like that. And if they're traumatised, particularly with, um, say, car accidents and you have damage to the spine, one of the hopes is that with um, certain therapies like stem cell therapy, sometime down the future those cells might be able to regrow. And it's a big might. So... People are looking at this in different ways. Now, the interesting thing is that um, people have used in dogs stem cell therapy, which comes from the dog itself, uh, from their bone marrow, and they're filtered out. So we're not talking about, you know, sourcing it from the placenta or embryos or anything. It's from the dogs themselves and filtered out. The problem is isolating the cells and that they lack the, um, the ability to differentiate compared to cells that are required from those other sources. But they are still quite effective. Now, they're being used commercially, I would say, for things like ligament repair, tendon repair. So when we think of orthopedic injuries, and that's a really you know, interesting concept and because ligaments and tendons do not heal that well. They often require implants, so you have to have you know major surgery, pieces of wire and, and whatever put in. So um, by injecting... Uh, stem cells, there's been some evidence that this actually strengthens the healing process. So that's a really good idea. What people have now looked at is to go into these other areas, particularly like spinal cord disease, to try and see if we can use the stem cell therapy in dogs with those conditions. Now, the problem is um, that we don't have a very good model. Okay, It's very hard to reproduce an animal with a spinal cord injury. There's some obviously some pretty heavy ethical problems with inducing spinal cord injury and then giving a treatment that you think might work or you're hoping might work just to show this point you know in an otherwise healthy animal however what we do know is that there are some conditions that occur naturally um, or patients that acquire these injuries that might otherwise not um, and I'm thinking about dogs here that might not be able to function Um, it's very hard for you know, dogs to cope with the um, wheelchair-type environment, although I have had a couple that have done that. 
But um, it's a huge demand on people. Yeah, they do. We have um, dogs with um, billy carts, and they race around, and they, they're great. But, you know, they've got to be toileted and cared for all the time. So maybe uh, if we can find these dogs and they aren't going to respond to therapies otherwise, maybe stem cell therapy would be useful. Now, there's a guy in California, professor at the University of California, Davis, who's looked at this and um, is trying to get together a series of patients where he can apply stem cell therapy, but it is a last resort. So that's one of the problems that they've got is it's going to be a last resort therapy. There is one other condition that comes up um, called degenerative myelopathy, and it occurs in certain breeds, um, particularly I've seen it once in 20 years, and that was in a German Shepherd. I'm sure it probably happens more frequently than that, but um, once in 20 years. So it's not a very, you know, there's not all these dogs out there with problems that we can treat all of a sudden. Um, but he's had four cases that he's treated. Now, California's got a population bigger than Australia, so, you know, he's obviously able to get these patients. And he's treated these dogs with stem cell therapy. Now, degenerative myelopathy just basically means the the spinal cord, pretty much the back half of your spinal cord just deteriorates and you start to lose all sort of function. You can't walk, can't go to the toilet or anything. So it's a really debilitating disease. comes on over a period of time. There was um, the dog I treated was, I'm thinking that was probably about mm, 10 years ago. And the treatment that we offered was, again, experimental, was some dietary supplements to try and replace certain amino acids and vitamins. And uh, the cost of that ran to thousands. You had to treat for three months before you saw any benefit. And it was very much up in the air whether it was going to be helpful. And um, unfortunately, that dog didn't improve with the treatment, although we were certainly all, you know, hoping that he would. Uh, so what we've, what this um, professor in California has done is he's treated four. Uh, one of them definitely didn't improve. Two of them have shown some improvement uh, to the point where a dog that could barely walk is now jumping into a truck. Um, so that was pretty into the pickup, into the pickup they call it, not the ute, the into, ute. The, into the ute. <laughs> um, so that's a really good result. Now whether it is due to the you know, the treatment or not. It's just if they're only treating four cases, that's not enough to say. But maybe there's some promise there. Maybe this is something that can be developed over time. And obviously then the parallel is, you know, does that mean that's going to apply for people? And that's where the big question comes in. And the, again, the ethical problems then surface about, you know, experimental studies. But if you've got dogs that are affected by a severe disease like degenerative myelopathy, then maybe this is going to be a treatment, but it's still a ways off, okay? It's a couple of years away before we see this coming around as a possible treatment. And I think what will happen is that um, we're going to see people enrolling more dogs into studies to get this happening. So it's very exciting for researchers to be able to find a condition like that that we would otherwise say is, you know, there's no treatment possibility, and maybe there's something on the horizon. And, of course, the same applies for conditions in people. So mm. we'll keep an ear out for that. Sounds good. Now, if you uh, harvest the stem cells or the cells from the dog's bone marrow, mm-hmm. can that be done after a traumatic inju- injury where, say, a dog's spine has been injured, or is that going to be too much trauma? Well, in the, in the, they did a study in rats, and um, it wasn't in California. I think it was in Chicago, and they... Um, they had the stem cells collected beforehand, induced the injury, 
and then treated some straight away and then treated some, had another group that they treated a week later and a group that weren't treated. And the ones that were treated, I think it was um, 7 out of 12 improved and the group that weren't treated of 10, none of them showed improvement. So that's where it's collected beforehand because they know that what they're going to do. Obviously, yeah, there's going to be some questions about what happens in injury because there's a whole series of um, cascade of chemicals that goes through the body inflammatory and um, that might modify these cells. Now, they don't actually go there. It's thought when they've looked at these under the microscope, they don't seem to just go there and turn into a nerve cell, but they possibly go and protect it and provide some... Uh, factors that enable the nerve cells to regrow, which those cell that that those factors aren't otherwise there. So nobody's really sure how it works, but doesn't mean we, you know, shouldn't keep looking. Cutting edge stuff. Yeah. Thank you, David Tabbert. You're listening to Pet Chat, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're going to find out about pugs and uh, speak to a breeder. And of course, I hope you're getting your questions ready for half past twelve. This is Pet Chat, and we are set to talk about pugs. We are too, Jane. We've got um, Joy joining us today, who's a, dog, uh, a pug breeder, her and her husband. And Joy Dunn, thank you for coming to the show and talking to us about pugs. How are you going? Good, thank you, Danny. Now, Joy, first of all, how long have you been breeding pugs for? Uh, approximately 17 years. 17 years. And what interested you in, in the breed, Joy? Well, I had boxes, and my daughter wanted a pug, and that's uh, we looked around and we got our looked quite around, and yes, then we got our first pug. First pug, and then it just went on from there. Yeah, and you're quite active with the show dog scene too, so you've got a lot of champions, grand champions yes. in your uh, in your breed kennel. there in your yes. kennel. What can you describe what they look like? Well, they they're a small dog. They've got the flat face. Uh, they've, you know, they've got the curly tail. Yes. And yeah, they're great for a companion dog. They're great for uh, house people that have only got a small house. Yes. And I mean, they're a nice little dog. There, there's um, a saying that they are a lot of dog in a small space. Oh, yes, a lot in a little. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and they've got the wrinkly skin, and a lot of people find that cute yes, and attractive. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, they're, they're a great little dog. What? Where did they originate from? China. Okay, so from China, and I believe it was like some about a thousand years ago. Yes, so. a long, long time ago. And I found out that they were introduced into Europe by the Dutch East India Company, and therefore they became the royal dog for, for the Dutch royal family. Yes, yes, that's right. Wow, it's quite interesting news when you find out about it, <laughs> about some of these dog breeds and how yeah, they've come along. If you, yeah, if you read, yeah, you can find out a lot for, about them. <laughs> they've was... been around for a long time, and they've changed a lot. And they have uh, changed, yep. Yes. In terms of the change, what about some of the, the health issues that the pugs can experience? Okay, you can get them that, that have got a breathing prob problem. Yes. That's a, a long, long elongated soft palate. That doesn't happen very often. Yes. But yeah, that, they can have that. A lot of, well, a lot of people out in the, in the exhibitors, or everyone thinks that they have eye problems, but, you know, the eye problems are, if, with, if their eyes are way too big, but they, their eyes definitely don't pop out of their head. 
Yep. I mean, they can get a scratch and you could have uh, problems, but yes, if you, if you treat it straight away, you have none. That's what, like when they stare at you with those big eyes, eyes yeah. for, a, for, the, for their head and the body, it does look <laughs> like they stare and they're going to pop out. So I can, I, I can imagine what people say about that. But they don't pop out, do they? No, definitely don't. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, that was something that was said uh, years ago by someone and, yeah, they definitely don't pop out. Okay. And in terms of your uh, the breeding program of, of registered breeders in Australia or of pugs, they, are they working through in terms of the breeding issues and obviously not breeding from those dogs and trying yes, to get well, rid of that? Well, I mean, we try to. Well, yes. There's a lot of people, you know, that just don't worry about it. Yep. I have all mine x-rayed of HD, hip dysplasia. Yes. And I, you know, have their eyes uh, tested and checked to make sure. And, I mean, I, I virtually, when a puppy goes from me, I know that I'm happy with it. I mean, they can have things that go wrong down the track, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that can uh, in, involve something that happened generations ago. Yes. Uh, but, yeah, on the whole, they're healthy, happy puppies. And that's and what it's supposed to be. Dog. And that's yeah. the way it's good, to, good for it. Yes. Now, in terms of who should be interested in looking at a pug for a pet, what kind of families would they suit? Uh, they suit all families. You yeah. know, a lot of the older exhibitors uh, would say, you know, well, you don't give, don't sell them to a, a family with children. Yes. But look, I have no problems. I mean, they're a great family pet. They, yeah. they, they're good for anyone. The only thing is they do lose hair twice a year. That's the change of seasons. Yes. Uh, and, but, yeah, give them a good bath and a good brush and, yeah, you have no problems. And their, their their temperament is quite loving and quite affectionate, isn't it? Yes, they are. They're, they, they're not aggressive. They're not bar- barking dog. They, they'll bark if someone comes to your door mm-hmm. to let you know. And they, as soon as you open the door, they're all over whoever it is. <laughs> it doesn't matter. The information that I have here says that they are good with children and they have a great attitude towards almost everything. Yes. And apparently in Holland, the name for the pug is called Mopshund, which means to grumble. Yes. And because that's what they do, they grumble a bit, don't they, with their well, snuffling they make, noise? They make a strange noise at times, but yes, I mean, we just, we're used to it. It's part of their character though, isn't it? Oh yes. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, I mean, most people, as soon as they see them, they fall in love with them. And that's why they're also great as an indoor dog. Yes, they, they, you can't just throw them in your yard and expect them to survive in the heat. They, they definitely like the cooler in the house and if you've got air conditioning in the summer months, they're definitely not a dog that can be just thrown in the backyard. Yeah, that is they one thing. They love to be part of the family. Of they the love family. to walk. Uh, love to go for a walk, but yeah, not not so much in the summer. Uh, if you take them, you take them early of the morning or late of an afternoon when it's cooled down. Yeah, that's right. And that's important in our summers especially. Yes, Don't yes. overdo it with them. Yes, no, that's definite. Well, look, thank you very much for all that interesting information on pugs. That's all right. And for coming on the show today. Thank you. All right, see you again another okay, time. Thank you, Danny. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Joy, and you're listening to Pet Chat. We'll be back in just a moment. Your calls are welcome, 49216216. We'll get you through to us. You're listening to Pet Chat on 2NURFM, and we have our pet vet, Dr David Tabret, here, ready and willing to talk to you about your questions to do with your pets. And Joy has rung in 49216216 is the number for you to ring. Joy has rung in. Hello. Hello. Got a question for David? Uh, yes, David. My query is, 
Uh, is it normal for a bird, a cockatiel, to lay many eggs? Oh, this is, yeah, th this is a very common problem and uh, does occur. It's happening, what, now or has it been going all year? Uh, well, last year, last spring, she laid 30, oh 30 eggs in the cage. That's a lot. Yeah. And uh, now she's up to 15. Oh, okay, okay. Um, there's a couple of things that contribute to this. There... It's breeding season, obviously. Yes. yes. And um, she's decided that uh, conditions are pretty good. She's got plenty of food. Yes, yes, right? spoiler. Mm -hmm. Daylight's lengthening, so that's a hormonal stimulus for her to lay eggs. The problem that can come about is that um, it can strip the calcium out of her body mm. and can contribute to um, fractures. Uh, the bones can become weak and soft. It can also cause problems with that many eggs being laid there is a risk that she could one of the eggs could spill into the abdomen so instead of traveling down the the oviduct and being laid as an egg it might actually go from the ovary and spill into the abdomen and that's quite a common thing in cockatiels and it pro produces a very severe um serositis almost like a peritonitis in the in their abdomen we call it an egg yolk peritonitis oh, right. that can leave them with long-term damage to their pancreas and their kidneys so it's a pretty serious condition and and in some cases can be fatal um, so we need to reduce the frequency of egg, egg laying what's happening is there's a stimulus with lengthening daylight hours and that actually is triggering it. So we need to make sure that, sh that she's going to um, going to bed at the same time, okay, so that that's not changing. And it, obviously, despite the fact that daylight's around, you need to have a, a place that you can put her in a cage that's dark and cover her. She is in a cage. You know, she doesn't come out, actually. Yeah, but is it um, being covered at night? Yes, oh, yeah, she's covered at night. And the egg laying started um, prior to daylight saving. Oh, yeah, it's not the daylight saving as such. It's the change from, oh, I see. you know, you have an eight-hour day in the middle of winter and yes, then, you know, yes. a month later it's a nine-hour day and a ten-hour. Oh, and we get up to like a 16-hour day. So it's that change that's the, the, the oh, trigger. Yes, so what happens is they ha that they have to be covered at the same time mm -hmm. to try and stop that hormonal stimulus. Oh, so right. it, you can't just get up in the morning and go, oh, the sun's up, let's everybody get up, and it's you know 5 a.m. or 6 a.m., and then, and then in winter she's not being uncovered till a bit later and then vice versa at the end of the day. Oh, I so see. We and I can't uh, give her any calcium supplement. Oh, oh, yeah, that's part two of the answer. Oh, good. <laughs> There's three parts. Oh, right. Part one is reduce the daylight. Mm -hmm. Part two is reduce the amount of energy that she's getting. Mm -hmm. Okay, is she on a seed diet? Uh, oh, yes, I give her all sorts of things. Seed, I give her toast, I yeah. give her alfalfa, Good. Uh, corn, Good. and um, a seed stick, all right. apart from a normal seed. Can you take the seed stick out altogether? All right. Because mm -hmm. that's, that's basically like a big fat Mars bar sitting in there that she can eat whenever she wants. Yes. All right, and limit her seed to mm -hmm. about 15 minutes twice a day at this stage. All right. And you need to give her some flowers. So you some put what? some flowers like grevilleas, bottle brush, wattle, things like that. All right. Put that in. You limit the amount of um, seed because that's a high-fat diet. Oh, okay. Right. Mm -hmm. So basically she's sitting in there, she's eating big bowl of potato chips, peanuts and a Mars bar, mm -hmm. and it's not going to be healthy for her. Uh, what about toast? Buttered toast. Yeah, she loves that, that. Yeah, that's okay. And, and, that's all right. Yeah, we'll get... We'll, 
cope with that. Um, and, and corn, she loves the corn. Plenty of veggies are great. Oh, good. All right, mm-hmm. those sort of things, excellent. Broccoli, um, some fresh fruit as well. Just make sure that you don't leave the food in there for any longer than a day because it will start to go off or even, mm. you know, half a day. But just limit the, limit the seed to twice a day, 15 minutes. And the other thing is to get a calcium supplement. Right. So you'll need to go to the pet store or to your vet and ask for a calcium supplement for your, for your bird. And all of those things, reduce mm-hmm. daylight, reduce energy, calcium supplement, that will get her back on track and reduce the uh, frequency of her egg laying. Oh, good. Okay. okay. Well, good. And can I, ha- can I ask you one more question? Yep. Uh, when a bird is caged, um, do they uh, suffer from mites? Do you have to spray them? Um, it, can be, it can be a cause of skin and feather irritation. And in some cases, they might be getting it if you're putting in fresh branches and things like that. Mm. So it's always good to have a look at it. Um, but uh, there are a whole lot of other causes for feather picking and skin irritations. Oh, right. Um, mites, yes, can be a cause, but more often there's other things going on. So if you're having problems there, then we really need to get into a, a physical examination and having a look oh. at the bird. I just, I was just wondering, because she's caged, um, you know, does she have to be sprayed or anything? She's not having any problems there. Oh, no. There. No, not at, only, if, only if it's a problem you get it checked out, but not as a regular thing, no. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good Thank luck. you very much. Good no luck with that, Joy. And 49216216 is the number for you to ring if you'd like to get your call through, your question through to David. And Kay has rung in. Hello, Kay. Hello, how are you? Got a question for David? Yes, I have. I rang a few weeks ago and David was going to try and find out a bit more about the calming collar for dogs that suffer from the thunderstorm phobia. Oh. I just wondered if he had. Yes, we did actually find out something on that. It's under under development in the United yep. States at the moment and it's mm-hmm. expected to be ready around about the end of this year. Oh, that That's would be right. great. That would be too in America, but by the time it comes to oh, Australia, yeah. there might be about a six-month lag. All oh, right. Do you think it would be extremely expensive or and no idea? It's hard. Going through collars such as your, your no-bark collars, they mm. do retail for about $300. Oh. So mm. I'm not too sure whether this would be priced similarly. Mm. Well, yes, mind well, you, um, could be worth it, <laughs> the poor little things. Yeah. There's, um, a, there's a number of strategies, and I know that we... Um, have talked about them regularly, but uh, I'll get we'll get Danny to keep an eye out for um, news of this collar when it's coming through the pet stores and so on. Lovely, so, good. Okay. I've also heard of a plug-in pheromone type thing. Ah, uh, there is. Yeah. Does that help? Um, that's outside my area of expertise as far as storm behaviour is concerned. Uh, uh, is it supposed to calm them in other yeah. areas? Do you think it might? Oh, might yeah. Might be worth trying. Absolutely. Well, they've. It's a calming uh, pheromone for a lot of stressful conditions. The problem with things like storm and firecrackers is they're very sharp and they don't always happen regularly. You know, it's very acute. So you you might find that it reduces the level of anxiety, but I wouldn't expect it to completely, um, you know... No, maybe not. But if you knew a storm was coming and and you plugged it in... Yes. ...perhaps an hour or so... Oh, you generally... ...or actually hit, would that help or...? Yeah, generally have them on all the time. Oh, do you? Yes. Oh, right. Yeah, called that, D- DAP. Yeah, it doesn't can, seem seems a bit silly to have it on if the weather's fine. You know, if well, that's all you're going to try it for. Oh, true. Yeah. yeah. Um, certainly at this time of the year, though, um, oh, our yes, storms are coming year. almost daily, aren't they? <laughs> yes, they are. Yeah. So you can all try right. that one as well. DAP is what is the product. DAP. Yeah. Good. Do you get it in pet stores, do you, or vets? 
Um, oh, you, can, you can get it from vets. You I can know definitely that. get it from vets, and certain pet stores might have it as well. Right. Yeah. Yes. Good luck. Thank you. I Thanks. need it. Thank no, you. Okay. okay. And uh, Billy joins us now. Hello, Billy. You've got a question for David. Yes, thank you. Hello, David. Hi, Billy. My first call to you. Oh, uh, that's uh, all right. <laughs> I've got uh, a year. Can you give me some advice on goldfish? Um, well, have you got any goldfish? Yes, what, yeah. I've got two goldfish. Yes. And I went away on holiday. One of them had a couple of white spots on his tail. Right. And when I came back, it had spread. Yes. And the other goldfish has got them now. Yes, mm. that's a fungal infection. Yeah, I thought it was fungal. What can I do? Um, well, a g- really good clean of the, the tank and yes. w- water changes. Now, the problem is that um, with water changes, you sort of have to do a quarter of a tank at a time, yes. which means that you're still leaving contaminated yes, water behind. That's right. The other thing is if you you go to your pet stores or vets would be able to supply you with the most common product that's used is malachite green, yes. which is um, a substance you add it to the water. Can you spell that for me? M-A-L-A-C-H-I-T-E. M-A-L-A-C-H-I-T-E. Yep. Yes. Um, and that'll actually, that's an antifungal as well. But you also you do need to make sure that you're cleaning the tank regularly because it's the f- the material that's left behind and um, right. organic well, I material. I do clean it, but how often do you think? Oh, well, initially I think a quarter change probably to get the tank clean over the next two or three days. All right. Well, I, I clean it every two weeks. Yeah, you might need to be doing it a bit more oh, frequently okay. than that. Oh, and okay. even clean the glass on the inside. Yeah. Make sure that the pebbles haven't got any algae or anything accumulating oh, on it. Can't. You can actually get a, a vacuum that attaches yep. and sucks the dust from <coughs> underneath the pebbles, yep. and and that helps to clean all the residue that's left in the pebbles as well. Yeah. And definitely, I think a weekly clean yeah. would, would oh. be the minimum right. you would look at. Mm. And, and just be careful that you're not overfeeding because um, additional food that's left floating yep. provides a, a substrate for... You know, bacteria and fungal. And will it disappear? Do you think these spots? Oh, they're usually quite treatable as long as they don't ulcerate, which then oh. become you have a bacterial problem. But if it's on just on the on the surface, they're usually responsive to treatment. Yeah. Oh, good. Oh, thank so. you very much because I do clean them and I do clean the pebbles and I do everything right. Yep. But whilst I was away, evidently, you know, it spread. It yeah. spread a bit more. Yeah. Yep. Yes. No, well, I think you'll get it cleaned up, no problem. Yes. Thank right. you, David. No worries. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. And Julie joins us now. Hello, Julie. Hi. How are you going? Hi, Julie. Hi. What can we do for you? Uh, I've got a five-year-old golden retriever. Mm-hmm. She's, a, she's a lovely dog, and but she's really prone to hot spots. Oh, yeah. And, and such a bad time of the year for it, too. Well, we're just coming into it. and she, Over about the last month, I've treated her for about five. Oh, crikey. So yeah. I, pr- I presume that you've got a little um, regime that when you notice one, you go through a process to try and get it cleaned up at home rather well, than... Well, I do. Uh, you know. Well, it's, it's eventuated probably in um, vet visits, about three vet visits. Mm. And I'm just wondering if there's anything that I can be doing to be more preventative because yep. it just makes them miserable. Um the best thing I can see that would do with a golden retriever at this time of the year is a full coat clip. Okay. Yep. 
uh, I think um, that'll make a that'll make a difference. It'll also the main difference it'll make is that I don't know that it necessarily stop it happening, but you'll be able to pick them up a lot earlier. Okay, I did talk to the breeder, yep. and she actually suggested against it. And you know, I do shave the spots where I start to see getting like those damp. You know how yep. they start to. Um, have a little bit of a nudge at them, and and when she gets that damp spot, I I try and just sort of clip that back and keep it dry. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure that you know if she's had them over that you know the the spring period. I'm just a bit more concerned about it for summer. Yeah, I've um, spoken to a number of breeders who've got breeds like Siberian Huskies and Malamutes who get pretty severe hot spots in our summer. And yep. one of the things that's helped them, and I'm not saying this might might totally cure it, but one thing that's helped them is a food that is based, and you can buy dry, super premium dry foods that are based on fish formulas, uh, like, like your salmon, sardine, anchovy types of varieties. And some have informed me that that has helped with their breeds in terms of hot spots during the summer period. That's maybe oh, something okay. else you could possibly look at. Oh, absolutely. It, that's... A dietary, a dietary supplement. Yes, that's right. Yeah, the mecha- yeah, the mechanism behind the development of hotspots, just for everyone as well, is that, and one of the probably the proper term for it is acute moist pyoderma, and what that means is is a bacterial infection on the surface of the skin, so not any deeper than that, just on the surface, and obviously it comes up very quickly, so it's acute. And when I say quickly, I mean within hours. You can, you know, the dog's fine, you go to work, you come back and there's this huge, great big weeping sore on the side of its neck. Um, And obviously moist because it's a very moist sore compared to dry. What actually is thought to happen is that for some reason the dog scratches. Now, it could be that there's an allergy basis for that and grass allergies, pollen, fleas, and in some cases foods may be a contributor as well. And I think that's where... um, uh, changing the diet can often make a benefit. We also see omega fatty acids, which come very much from fish-based diets, are very good for skin conditions. And you can actually get a, f- a fatty acid supplement that you can add in as well, or um, just supplementing with certain fish, or going to a complete, you know, premium diet that is made from fish. I think that's also a good idea. The reason about the clipping is that if you can detect it early and it keep it dry, they, you'll stop it in their tracks. So okay. it's oftentimes I find that when we see them, you'll see there's a damp patch, and when you clip the coat, the redness in the skin, which is the bacteria creeping over the surface of the skin, goes back another inch beyond you know, where you would normally think, oh, that's the sore, it's the size of a 20-cent um, you know, piece, but it's actually the size of the palm of your hand. So by keeping it clean, you can dry it off, and then you need to use an antibacterial shampoo on the skin and dry it very, very thoroughly. And that's that's the quickest way. Now, as the other thing you asked about preventatives was there's a product, and I don't know if you can still get it, Danny might know, there was a spray you could get called Dermacool, which was... Um, what was the base of that, the ingredient in the Dermacool? Oh, now you're asking now me. <laughs> no, the reason is there is some other products that we do have. Yeah. I'm going that, back a few years. Like um, it's, there's one called Stop Itch or Quit Itch, and they have like an iodine base, which is a drying agent no. of the skin, and that's why I was asking. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to use an iodine. Yep. No, the Dermacool was um, a soothing type 
spray that yep. goes on and it does tend to reduce the itching and what happens is when the dog's allergic it itches scratches its skin and some serum oozes out and the bacteria that live on our skin the staphylococcus aureus um, then uh, take off and cause this infection mm. or staph intermediates very commonly in dogs so there's um, what we see is that it's a bacterial infection but if you can actually stop it in its tracks and stop the itching and dry it off you'll you'll get control of it and hopefully, uh, Julie, avoid all those vet visits. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, she loves going to the vet because I think she goes so often. But it's just really around getting getting some preventative measures yeah. in place so that we don't get to the point that she's in distress. You know, she just can't settle. She walks mm. around and she... And then by the time we get her to the vet, of course, she's in... She's just over it. We're all over it, and um, mm-hmm. we just want her back to normal. And yep. she's bathed once a week. Um, I often thought that perhaps she wasn't getting dried well enough because they've got such they've got the two coats. And I thought maybe there was a bit of moisture in the the, bottom, the undercoat that was um, was causing that to happen and yeah. with the humidity. Yep. But um, well, it's definitely yeah, more definitely more common in this humid time. But there's going to be a trigger that makes them itch. But then again, allergies are more common at the moment as well. Could okay, be so you've got to attack it on a number of fronts. But the Dermacool and an antibacterial shampoo are definites. All right. Okay. Thanks, thanks Thank for you. your call, good Julie, luck, Julie, and good luck. <coughs> You're listening to Pet Chat on 2NURFM 103.7. Pet Chat, and uh, right at the moment, well, just before we, Danny, we cross to you and uh, some really interesting websites that are going to help. Uh, we had on the show a few a few weeks ago, somebody hmm. rang in with a problem about cockatoos taking to the house and eating it. Oh, yeah, Pam rang in on the, well, it was way back at the start of October, actually, and the beautiful protected species, Pam, cockatoos. Absolutely, <laughs> no, no shotguns. <laughs> but they've, um, they've been chewing off all the timbers around there. So we, we talked about maybe creating a screen of yes. different plants. And, yeah, it's a tough one because we live in that environment. But um, well, someone else yes, someone come in with an idea. Well, yes, someone from Valentine has rung in with a thought. Uh, she put a rubber snake on her balcony and there's been no problem since then. You can fool the cockatoos mm. some of the time. And that was six years ago. She's taken the snake away since then and the cockies haven't been back either. Oh, they're very clever. Very clever. You don't live to be a 100 without learning a thing or two. <laughs> No. That's a good trick to apply because they came and ate my avocado tree. And Well, next time when you've got all an the, avocado all on the your flowers, tree. Now I'll put a snake there. Put a snake A there. rubber snake. Yes, of course. So that you're in charge. <laughs> yes. Now, websites. Uh, we can get an awful lot of interesting information from websites. Look, Jane, it's, we are definitely living in the information age. And any in- information, any question we might have, we just have to Google it as the term goes, and we get answers, like pages and pages of them. So what I thought I'd do today is bring up some interesting websites that I have found that people can go on if they've got pets to get some information. First of all, an Australian site, dogsonline.com.au. So that's D-O-G-Z-O-N-L-I-N-E. That has um, information on Australia's registered pedigree breeders of dogs and they'll have um, also puppy sales of, of pedigree beads and information and and breeders that you can contact in your state of that breed. So that's a great website to have. 
One that we've plugged many of times is hunteranimalrescue.com.au. If you're interested in rescuing a dog, well, that is the website to go for local hunter residents. It's also very informative and keeps you up to date with what dogs and puppies, cats and kittens they have on offer. One that maybe David knows, it's petsmd.com. Now, that is a medical website for, for pets. It is an American site, and, and there are information that you can get on all sorts of dog and cat diseases and allergies, even how to train your puppy when you get a puppy, um, uh, how to keep your cat happy indoors, lots of different information that would be certainly very informative and useful for all pet owners. Dogsnewsouthwales.org.au is a an organisation where all registered breeders of pedigree dogs have to register through, and that'll have information on the Pacific Pacific breeds and their temperaments, and any types of more information in regards to government controls uh, about pets. Hunterwildlife.org.au, that's a website that is uh, run by the Native Animal Trust. And even just today, we had a call of a lady saying there was a galah that was injured in one of the parks. A quick phone call to Native Animal Trust and they could send out someone to rescue the galah. One that I found very exciting is uh, a, a site that is designed and, and and done by a dog called Schultz and it's the Schultz homepage site and what information you have there is all the different parks in Australia that are off-leash parks and holiday places that accept dogs and Schultz says that his goal in life is to explore all the off-leash areas in Sydney and more as far afield as I can go and then he shares them with all his friends online because he's a fun-loving and well well-liked uh, and well-behaved megamutt. Ah, well done, Schultz. <laughs> and there's another one too. Um, our poodle breeder from last week uh, realises that he forgot to tell us about a really good site for poodles. Yes. And that too is an American site, but it's also uh, very good good information for poodles. It's uh, after the W's, vipoodle.org. I'm sure that's... Just an indication very important that all poodles poodle, hey? are very important. <laughs> <laughs> and that brings Pet Chat to a close today. Thank you, Danny Boss. And thank you, thank Jane. you David Tabra. Thanks, Jane. Back next week after the 12 o'clock news, Pet Chat on 2NURFM 103.7.